0: When I was about seven or eight years old, my older sister was learning French, and she had this project where she was cataloging and documenting the use of French in pop songs. So like Psycho Killer by The Talking Heads, Michelle by The Beatles, Call Me by Blondie even has a little French in it. You get the idea. I didn't fully grasp what she was doing other than just blasting sick pop songs from her crappy pink tape deck. And one such jam was Patti LaBelle's Lady Marmalade. I was a dumb kid at the time, but I was creative and I paid attention. To me, the song sounded like a defiant feminist anthem, and I couldn't always hear the lyrics that clearly behind my sister's closed door, but I heard that repeated refrain in the chorus. And to my naive ears, I was pretty sure the lyrics were, Who are you to say I can't walk this far? Okay, so I'm obviously wrong, but some context here. This was in the 90s, I had progressive parents, and I hear a song from the 70s being sung by a black woman, I was convinced the theme was one of defiance and justice, as Miss LaBelle states loudly and proudly that she can go as far as she wants. Who are you to say I can't walk this far? The song, of course, was a totally different message. Voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir? Translates to, do you want to sleep with me tonight? To be fair... Even Miss LaBelle didn't know what she was singing about, and is quoted as saying in a 1991 issue of Jet Magazine that, Nobody, I swear this, is God's truth. Nobody at all told me what I just sung about. At first, she was so ashamed and embarrassed. LaBelle sang in a choir in her Philly Baptist church, yet her breakout song was about a New Orleans sex worker. That's a pretty far cry from her usual praising of God and Jesus repertoire. But returning to her church after the song, she said, It took courage and faith to go back. And when I walked in there, I got a few looks, and then I got smiles, and the hugs and the love. Hey, hookers are people too. Love is what it's all about, honey. There are plenty of songs out there where the meaning gets distorted or lost, or just plain misunderstood. They range from the banal mishearings of lyrics like Jimi Hendrix saying, excuse me while I kiss this guy, to the hilariously misguided use of Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. Ronald Reagan used it at campaign rallies in 1984 when the song was released. And even after the boss himself has come out and repeatedly implored people to not use his song for political campaigns and to actually listen to the words that he is saying, politicians just keep using it. The first words you hear from him are Born in a dead man's town, the first kick I took was when I hit the ground. You end up like a dog that's been beat too much, till you spend half your life just covering up. Now, born in the USA, I was born in the USA. Even without fully understanding the conflict of the Vietnam War, and the incalculable toll it took on returning vets and their families, and the public at large, it's still pretty clear that the sentiment of the song is not a positive one. It's a protest song, plain and simple. But if you just hear those power chords with Bruce yelling BORN IN THE USA over them, you'd be forgiven in thinking that it's all about America. Fuck yeah. All of this is to say that pop songs are tricky, and it can be really difficult for an artist to control exactly how their art is perceived. The thing nowadays is to kind of weave lyrics regarding racial injustice or political commentary or police brutality with super-light poppy jams. Think Childish Gambino's This Is America, or Freeze Tag by the supergroup Dinner Party, which has the vocalist Fiolix singing, The melody is so positive, but the message is depressing, which kind of feels like the whole point. The thing is, this isn't new, but there's one song in particular that's always fascinated me because it was able to use a foreign language and a catchy melody to gain really high prominence in the US, all while being kind of a protest song. And it happened a lot earlier than you might think. This is the amazing story of Sukiyaki. Yusakamoto was a crooner in post-war Japan. In 1961, when he was just 19 years old, he released a song called "Ue o Muite Aruko." Oh, wait, I, I can't be pronouncing that correctly. Hold, hold on. Ue o Muite Aruko. Okay, yeah, that. It's a very good song. In 1963, Capitol Records released it as a single in the U.S., but they changed the title to Sukiyaki which is the name of a Japanese beef soup. It's a popular dish served at Pan-Asian slash Tiki restaurants that popped up all over the US after World War II. It's an odd name choice for a song, but it was only chosen because it was a recognizably Japanese word that was common enough to the American public, and more importantly, it is easy to pronounce, so it could be requested at radio stations and music shops. It's a pretty smart idea. I did have a really hard time saying, Ue o mute aruko. Obviously, the song has nothing to do with soup, but I will be calling it sukiyaki for the rest of the story because it fits better in my American mouth. Anyway, it's June 1963. Sukiyaki is released in the US, and it becomes an immediate hit. It reaches number one on Billboard, and not some foreign language side chart, but like the main chart. And it stays at number one for three weeks and continues to stay in the top ten for the rest of the summer. By the end of the year, it was number ten overall, beating out some other amazing songs you might have heard of, like Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash, It's My Party by Leslie Gore, and Peter, Paul, and Mary's version of Blowing in the Wind. To this day, it is one of the best-selling singles of all time. Just a few places behind Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. And And it even beat out I Wanna Hold Your Hand by The Beatles, which came out the same year. I I feel the need to drive this home. This is a Japanese song that is fully in Japanese. And... It became the most popular song in the United States, where just 17 years earlier, every person of Japanese descent was imprisoned in internment camps following the Empire of Japan's attack on Pearl Harbor. Interesting fact, Sakamoto was born on December 10th, 1941, three days after Pearl Harbor, and then his childhood is completely defined by the war and the atomic bombs, and the fall of the Japanese empire, and yet somehow, just a couple years later, he puts out this song that seems to transcend all of that, and the returning USGIs and their kids are bopping along to this jam for an entire summer. On the one hand, it kind of makes sense. The song itself is incredibly catchy, It has an upbeat melody countered with this strange melancholic lilt that hints at something deep hiding in Sakamoto's singing. And this cheerful whistling. God, that whistling! I'm pretty sure that Q Sakamoto was like one of the top five whistlers of all time. Easy. You don't even need to speak Japanese to get a feeling for what's going on here. The first lyrics you hear are the original Japanese title, which translates to, I look up when I walk, so the tears won't fall. Remembering those happy spring days, but tonight I'm all alone. Whew, yikes. Sounds like a breakup song, right? On the surface, it seems like it might be the story of a man shattered by unrequited love or lost love or something super sad but still kind of vague. This poetic concealment seems to be intentional, as the real inspiration for the song was not loss of love but the loss of country. This song was actually written in 1960 by a guy named Rokosuki Ai, and he was a friend of Sakamoto. He wrote the lyrics shortly after walking home from a protest over something called the Treaty of Mutual Cooperation and Security Between the United States and Japan, which was to allow for permanent U.S. military presence in Japan, specifically on the island of Okinawa. Hundreds of thousands of Japanese citizens were very unhappy with this arrangement, and they formed massive protests that would later be called the Anpo Struggle. They all congregated at the Capitol building in Tokyo in order to dissuade the government from signing the treaty with the U.S. It was late May when things got really bad. These protests were very intense. A university student was killed in a clash with the police. President Eisenhower canceled his trip to Japan. And the Prime Minister of Japan would eventually have to resign in disgrace as a result of these protests. Nevertheless, By mid-June, it was clear that the protests weren't going to change anything. Rokosuke Ai walked home from the final protest, devastated by the outcome, looking up so his tears wouldn't fall. Japan would eventually fully commit to the treaty, and it remains in place even today. This is some wild irony. This is a protest song, written to protest the United States, that then becomes a hit in the United States. Moreover, it's been used in film and television as a sort of shorthand to indicate either Asian exoticism or American post-war expansion and exceptionalism. This song was famously used in the second season of Mad Men to do both and is dripping with symbolism. Sukiyaki remains the only Japanese song to ever reach number one on the US charts. It just shows you that heartache is a universal language and a good song is a good song. Kyu Sakamoto was the only Asian artist to reach the top 100 until just recently with the rise of K-pop. There's an interesting fact that I came across while researching this story. So, Kyu Sakamoto continued to sing and perform throughout the 60s and 70s, and remained very popular in Japan. By the 70s, he got married and had a couple kids and did the whole aging pop star thing. However, in August 1985, during the Japanese holiday of Oban, which is a popular time to visit family, Sakamoto hopped on Japanese airline flight 123, going from Tokyo to Osaka. Osaka and Tokyo are only about 250 miles apart. That's super close. I mean, that's closer than Boston to Philly or Dallas to San Antonio. It was scheduled to be a very quick flight. Especially for such a huge plane, it was a Boeing 747 with 524 people on board. Which totally blows my mind. That's so many people traveling such a short distance, but this was one of the most popular routes in Japan. Anyway, so the flight takes off, and 11 minutes later it's in the air at its cruising altitude of 24,000 feet. However, moments after leveling off, there was a loud bang at the back of the plane. The rear bulkhead burst and the whole plane experienced explosive decompression. The flight crew tried to bring the plane back around to Haneda Airport, but the hydraulic steering system was completely destroyed and the aircraft didn't have a tail anymore. It was going through this terrifying roller coaster ride of going up and down and didn't have any ability to steer the plane whatsoever. The crew miraculously managed to keep it in the air for 32 minutes, trying to bring it to safety, but it ultimately crashed into the mountains northwest of Tokyo, killing 520 people, including Kyu Sakamoto. It remains the deadliest single aircraft accident of all time. Okay, bit of a bummer, but I'm going to leave you on a happier note. During the 13 days of the Gemini 7 mission, NASA transmitted music for the astronauts to enjoy while they did all of their many space tasks in the incredibly small Gemini space capsule, including an instrumental version of Tsukiaki, making it one of the first songs to be heard in space. And I found a recording of that transmission, and it's great! Keep it, it away. Roger, away. Roger, away and up. I'm not certain, but I think that's the voice of mission pilot Jim Lovell, who would later command Apollo 13. So Jeopardy that's neat. Away, okay, uh, we're going here on the ground. Uh we're ready for your fuel cell purge. Roger, stand by. Just one. We're taking an S-6 picture now. We've had a loss out on C-band beacon him. Well, Roger. that's it. I hope you enjoyed. Over and out. All right, gentlemen. I said, purchase complete. Okay, we've got all that. Do you need anything else? Not No, thing. Okay, this is your final controller standing by. We need not acknowledge. Thank you.